The gospel lesson for the third Sunday in Advent comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Uh, Then we'll skip down and read verses 19 through 28. And you can find this on page 750 of the Pew Bible. In this gospel lesson, we're introduced to John the Baptist and his ministry. Now, just to clarify, uh, John the Baptist is not the same John for whom the gospel of John is named. The book is named for John, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote the gospel, and he's a different guy than John the Baptist. Uh, Also, John the Baptist wasn't exactly a a Baptist uh, in the way that we would speak of Baptists today. That wasn't really a thing back then. Uh, If anything, uh, at least in my opinion, John was more of a Lutheran because of his uh, insistence that baptism forgave sins. (laughs) But people weren't called Lutherans back then either. So John is called the Baptist simply because he baptized people. In this text, we learn who John was and what he cared about. Please stand as you are able for the gospel from John 1, beginning at verse 6, we read in Jesus' name. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear, to bear witness about the light. And now skipping down to verse 19. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a weird conversation, the one John has with these priests and Levites. Now, John, he was something of a celebrity. He was out in the wilderness beyond the Jordan River, and people from Jerusalem and from the whole region of Judea were going out to see him and be baptized by him. And this really demonstrates his celebrity status. A few times a year, we have celebrities come to Grand Forks, usually for a concert or something like that, and and people from all the little towns come to Grand Forks to see the celebrity. People from Reynolds and Thompson, Laramore and Fisher and all these other towns around the area come to Grand Forks to see the celebrity. But imagine it's reversed. He's out in a field by Reynolds. So all the people flock to this random field in the country, people from Grand Forks and Fargo and Minneapolis. You even have people from Chicago and L.A. and New York flying in to see this celebrity who keeps himself confined to a field out by Reynolds. 
It would take someone very unique to get people from the big cities to come out to the country. But that's John the Baptist. Jerusalem was the religious, cultural, and political center of Israel. Everything important happened there. But John doesn't go there. He doesn't even stay in the region of Judea, where most of the Jews lived. John himself was born into a priestly family. His father was Zechariah. He was a priest, and he actually served inside the temple in Jerusalem. This meant John was eligible to be a priest too. But he leaves Jerusalem, he goes somewhere else, and does something else. He crosses the border into the region beyond the river. Apparently, there was another village a uh, village named Bethany over there. Now, this isn't the same Bethany that Lazarus and his sisters were from. This is a different Bethany. It was on the other side of uh, the Jordan River. The, the Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters were from was near Jerusalem. This one's farther away across the river. And we don't even know exactly where this Bethany was, other than the fact that it was on the other side of the river and probably pretty close to the river. And that tells us how insignificant it was, that we don't even know where it was. But this is where John goes. And the Jews leave Jerusalem and Judea to go see him there. So John is something of a religious celebrity. He's intriguing enough to draw people out from the cities, out from Jerusalem and Judea. So the Pharisees, they send some of their priests and Levites to go see about this guy, John. What's going on with him? They get there, and they have this weird conversation. The first question is right to the point. They ask, who are you? <laughs> That's what they want to know. And John has a weird answer, but he has a reason for answering the way he does. He says, I am not the Christ. Now imagine uh, meeting someone new after church, and you say, hi, I'm Dan, or whatever your name is. Who are you? And they say, I am not the Christ you'd probably say, yeah, I, I didn't think you were, but you still didn't answer my question. Now, John was a, a little bit more famous than we are, and perhaps there were actually a few people who thought maybe he could be the Christ. But the answer is still strange, isn't it? Instead of telling them who he's not, he could have just told them who he is and spared them this weird conversation. But the Christ is really the person John wants to talk about. So he, he finds this strange way to work him into the conversation from the very beginning. We see that John is obsessed with the Christ, and rightly so. If you offered John a cup of coffee, he would probably say, do you know what else has six letters and starts with the letter C? <laughs> but eventually, John gets around to telling these, these priests and Levites who he is. And then we understand why he tried to change the subject. John is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And this is what Isaiah, the prophet, said he would do. So John's job is not to draw attention to himself, but to draw as much attention as possible to the Christ, who is Jesus of Nazareth. John is the herald of good news. Behold, here comes the Lord. That's his message. John is the guy who introduces the guy. You know those fancy banquets where you have a really special speaker, and he's so special that you have another special guy make a speech to introduce the special speaker. 
John is the introduction guy. John's job is to introduce the Christ. And then he sits down and lets Jesus do his thing. One of the things John did to introduce people to Jesus was baptize them. He says, I baptize with water. And then you'll notice in most translations, they insert a word uh, that isn't actually there. They insert the word, but, but it's not actually in the text. It's simply, I baptize with water, period, then among you stands one you do not know. Most translations make it sound like John is minimizing his ministry of baptizing, but he's not. John's baptism worked repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We should never minimize a thing like that. It's more like John is explaining why he was baptizing. He was baptizing because there was someone among them, someone really important, who is Christ the Lord. In preparation for the revealing of the Christ, these Jews received a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. God himself was coming to his people, and he even already stood among them, though they did not recognize him yet. So then John, he also confessed that he was not worthy to even stoop down and untie Jesus' sandal. Now, I always thought that was kind of strange, but I never really gave too much thought to it. Why would anyone stoop down and untie Jesus' sandal? It almost sounds like a prank that kids play, you know, when they sneak up behind each other and untie their shoes. But it's not that. Now, John and Jesus, they were cousins, and they probably played together a few times when they were kids, but we really don't know what kind of pranks they played on each other. The sandal thing, it had to do with the ancient practice of foot washing. Most of the travel in the ancient world was done by walking. Some people rode on animals, but animals were more often used to carry your stuff. So most people walked everywhere, and everyone in Israel wore sandals. That meant their feet were exposed to the dust and the dirt and everything else that was on the road, including the stuff left there by the donkeys and oxen. And this was before the time of those little plastic bags you used to pick up what your dog leaves on the sidewalk. So when you finally get home from a day of walking all over town, your feet might be kind of dirty. So if you had any servants, washing your feet was the job reserved for the lowest of your servants. But what does John say about this? John did not even consider himself worthy of this menial and disgusting task. Washing Jesus' feet was not beneath John. Washing Jesus' feet was above him. He did not consider himself worthy to clean dirt and feces out from between Jesus' toes. He didn't even consider himself worthy to begin the task by removing Jesus' sandal. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God in human flesh. John knew who he was, and he knew who Jesus was, so he didn't even dare to touch Jesus' dirty sandal. But enough about John. John would be embarrassed to know we spend this much time talking about him. He would advise us to stop talking about him so much and start talking about the Christ. So let's do that. What's so great about the Christ? 
Jesus himself said, among those born of women, none is greater than John, but John considered Jesus to be far more important, and Jesus agreed. So why is Jesus so great? Jesus was a prophet, just like Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist, but he exceeded all of the prophets before him, both in his person and in his work. What I mean by that is that Jesus exceeded them in who he is and by what he did. His identity is greater and his actions are greater. Moses prophesied that an even greater prophet would arise from among the people of Israel. So the priests and Levites, they asked John the Baptist if he was that prophet, but he said no, because Jesus is that prophet and John knew it. But when John announced the coming of the Christ, he didn't say make straight the way of an even better prophet. He said, make straight the way of the Lord. This prophet is more than a prophet because he is God himself. Now, prophets generally did two things. The first thing was to proclaim the word of the Lord. But when Jesus proclaimed the word of the Lord, he wasn't proclaiming someone else's word. Think about this. He was proclaiming his own word. This is God in human flesh proclaiming God's word. Jesus exceeds all the prophets before him because he is more than a mere man. He is true God and he is true man doing the work of a prophet. And then the second thing prophets generally did, and this wasn't really something they tried to do. It usually just happened to them. The second thing prophets did was suffer. This was bound to happen when they spoke the word of the Lord because it often offended people. John the Baptist was a good example of this. He got his head chopped off. The king, uh, King Herod at the time, he stole his brother Philip's wife. John had something to say about it. The wife didn't like it, so she asked the king to chop off John's head, and he did. We do this when we don't like something God's word says. Maybe we don't actually chop someone's head off. Okay, I'm pretty sure none of us have ever done that. But there's a reason don't kill the messenger is a saying. We don't like it when someone comes to us with the word of God and says, look, your behavior or your beliefs are not right. You need to repent. John did this, and he suffered for it. Jesus did it too, and he suffered a lot. And this leads us to the second way Jesus exceeds the prophets before him. First, in his identity, that is God in human flesh. And the second is in his work, his actions, what he did. Most of the prophets suffered, but Jesus' suffering exceeds the suffering of the prophets before him. Because the primary purpose of Jesus' ministry was to suffer. And his suffering accomplished far more than the suffering of the earlier prophets. Those prophets, they suffered as a result of their proclamation. But Jesus' suffering, it was the whole purpose for why he came. By his suffering, he won salvation for all mankind. And unlike the prophets before him, Jesus had the ability to avoid his suffering. But he didn't. Many of the earlier prophets, they complained to God about their suffering. But Jesus, as God in human flesh, he could have escaped it all. 
He could have ended it at any time, but he didn't. He refused to end it, even when the people watching him die mocked him. He refused to end his suffering because he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John the Baptist was right when he considered himself unworthy to untie Jesus' sandal, just that first step in washing Jesus' feet. But even if John had tried to wash Jesus' feet, I don't think Jesus would have let him. Not because John was unworthy, but because Jesus did not come to be served. Do you remember when his own disciple tried to wash Jesus' feet? When Peter tried, Jesus refused. Instead, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, all of them, even the one who would betray him. Jesus got his own hands dirty with the dust and dirt and feces. But this was only the start of Jesus' service and humiliation. Jesus, our Lord, contaminated himself, not merely with the filth on the outside of the body, but with the filth on the inside, too. And this was the whole point of him taking on human flesh. It was the whole point of his suffering. He contaminated himself in order to cleanse us without and within. And in this way, Jesus exceeds all the prophets before him. He was much better at suffering. He suffered far more than any of them did, and his suffering accomplished the greatest purpose of all the forgiveness of sins, and the life of the world. It is because of this that the word of God comes to us and does more than simply reveal where our actions and beliefs have gone wrong. It reveals what God has done about it, and it proclaims the forgiveness of these sins. It tells us what to believe. It tells us who to trust, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who has taken these sins from you. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He suffered. He died. He rose again. So you are forgiven. You are redeemed, and you are promised a home in Jesus' eternal kingdom. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.